Well, you know what? It just feels really good to be with you guys for a lot of reasons. Firstly, because we've missed you so much. But I've got to tell you that for 32 weeks, now some of you, uh, this will not make sense to you at all. So you've just got to take my word for it. As you well know, you know, we've been online streaming the services during this whole time. But I can tell you now from personal experience, it is totally weird to preach to empty seats. So if during the next few moments you happen to laugh, I'm not even sure I'm funny anymore. I've not heard anybody laugh for 32 weeks. I've not heard anybody clap for 32 weeks, say amen. So if you want to make up for lost time during this one talk today, you can do it. But if you do so, just know you're probably going to scare me a little bit because ordinarily for the last few weeks, I've heard nothing but crickets. You just preach and look at empty seats and trust that people are watching. And many of you have come to me even today before the last service and this one and just saying, hey, been following online and I want to say thank you for doing that. We appreciate it so much. And today we're going to wrap up our series, Traveling Light. See, this is what I know about you and me. We all carry some baggage around in your life. Well, you say, well, Jeff, you can't speak for me. All right, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I carry baggage in my life. Some of it, you know, I've carried it for a long, long time, but God wants us to travel light. And here's what we're going to do. With God's help and by God's power, we're going to lay down some of the baggage that we've been lugging around. And some of you are like me. You've been carrying it for quite some time, and you'd love to be free of it. And here's the promise that God gives us. And I'm going to touch on this at the end of our time together, that when Jesus sets us free, he sets us free indeed. And uh, we're going to talk today about emotional baggage because it's reality. And on the first half of it, I'm going to deal with some negative voices that perhaps you've heard in your lifetime. But then when we turn that page and we go to the latter half of the talk, we're going to say with God's help, we're going to slam the door on that negativity. We're going to slam the door on the negative voices of our past. And we're going to believe that God is going to help us to travel light and to toss off some of that emotional baggage. Now, I want to just go ahead and I only have a moment to do so, but I want to encourage you. It is so important that you be back next week. I'm going to start a brand new series called Why Your Worldview Matters, and it matters way more than you think. See, I just say that, and that doesn't even register. It doesn't jolt you, but it should because your worldview, my worldview, it determines every decision that we make. And you know what, friends, and I don't mean this to sound mystical or strange, but sometimes just over life, we just adapt worldviews that are not from God and are not from God's truth. They just hit us from a lot of different sources. And again, once you have a worldview in place, that's what you're going to make your decisions based upon. This is what I believe. I believe that there is truth today. I believe that there's been truth that has existed for years, but you and I need to know the truth. And uh, we're going to talk about that starting next week in a very important, maybe one of the most important series that we've ever done here before. But let's get back to today because I want to talk about emotional baggage. Now, I think if you're like me, um, and I think we all have our own commonalities, and I think for most of us, if something negative happens in our life, there's a negative situation or circumstance, then we have a tendency to remember that one much longer than we do a positive situation or circumstance. Let me take that one step further. 
If you have ever been, I want you to hear this now, if you have ever been on the receiving end of some negative words, then the fact of the matter is, those probably will linger around. It's just the way that we are, the way that we do. Those negative words are probably going to linger in your life a lot longer than positive words will. And I'll give you one example. And the reason, and I, I may, depending on time, give you a couple of three examples personally, because I want you to know that I'm not, it's not like I'm talking to you uh, because you've had experiences that I have not. I'm telling you what I'm talking about with you today, and that's what we're doing. We're learning together today is things that have affected my own life. And I'll share with you right out of the gate one example that happened to me when I was 13 years of age. Uh, I played a lot of sports growing up. My dad was into sports, and so therefore he made sure that I got into sports really, really early, like as soon as I was just old enough to sign up. And I played a lot of different sports, but my favorite sport was baseball. And I'd been playing it for a lot of years, started with t-ball, as a lot of you did when I was four or five years old. At this point in the story that I'm telling you right now, I was 13 years of age. And our team, our team had made it to the playoffs and we had a really, really good team. And so we're like in the first round of the playoffs and we've got a really, really big game coming up against a fierce opponent. And this is really good team, but the good thing about it, our ace pitcher was rested and he was going to be pitching in that particular game. Now I was a part of the pitching rotation. It's a 13, 14 year old league. In fact, I think that it was called Pony League. I'm not sure. I think it was called Pony League. Uh, I'm 13, so I'm a younger guy on the team, but I played sports and I was left-handed and, you know, coaches always thought that it would be, uh, you know, difficult, more difficult for some batters to look at a left-handed pitcher than a right-handed pitcher. And so, um, fact of the matter is I was off the hook. I didn't have to pitch in this game. I just had to play my normal position. Well, as it turned out, our pitching ace got very, very sick uh, prior to the game, in the pregame warm-ups. In fact, there's no neat, nice way of saying it. He was hurling his cookies just before the game. So it became obvious that he was not going to be able to pitch. And so now I'm getting nervous. My stomach is in knots because generally I'm second in a pitching rotation. And this is a big, big game. And I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, I do not want it. There's too much on the line for this game. I do not want to pitch. But I can remember this so vividly well, uh, even though I was 13, I saw Coach Butler walking in my direction. I was just tossing the ball back and forth, and, and he walked, and I'm not, please, I'm thinking, Jesus, please, I don't need to pitch in this game. I don't want to pitch in this game. There's too much on the line. And he's walked, walked up to me, and, and he said, Jeff, I want you to go start warming up. You're going to have to pitch. And I'm like, dear Jesus, just take me home to heaven right here, right now. I don't want to do this. Well, I had to do what the coach said. So I started warming up with a guy who's going to be catching, Matt's blocker. And so uh, here's something that stuck with me. Number one, I'm nervous. But when our ace pitcher was walking off, his, his dad, his dad said, said this. He said, I'm sorry and called his son's name. I'm sorry he's not said this to sort of the team. And by now, everybody knows that I'm going to be pitching because I've started warming up. Everybody knows this. He knows it. He starts walking off with his son. I'm sorry he's not going to be able to pitch today, and I'm sorry you guys aren't going to be able to advance in the playoffs. So how do you think that made me feel? I'm like, wow, that, thank you for that boost of confidence. Now I'm really ready to pitch in this game. 
Well, I, I love the way it turned out, and God knows my heart. I'm not bragging about this because it was the best game that I had pitched all season long. And by the grace of God, I was able to throw a one-hit shutout. I still have that game ball to this day. So a one-hit, you don't have to clap, but I'm just like, I'm relieved. I'm relieved. And so afterwards, all these people are coming around. My coach is saying, Jeff, I wish now that I'd had you because the one hit I gave up was against their best hitter, big old guy. He said, I wish now, and it happened at the end of the game, I had just let you walk him so you would have a no-hit shutout. I'm like, I'm just glad to be alive. I'm just glad we won. I'm just glad, you know, I can go home and eat now. And uh, that's how I'm feeling. And so a lot of people came around, my teammates and parents, and everybody's going crazy, and we're advancing in the playoffs. But you know what's amazing? I want you to hear me when I say this. I don't remember any of those positive statements that was made to me after the game at all. But you know what I do remember? The negative words from this dad just before I pitched in this game. That's, that's, that's what I remember. I remember that, and I've carried that. And, and you think about that. Uh, that happened when I was 13 years old. So you know that happened at least 20 years ago. <laughs> or longer? At least. I said at least. But what negative words have you found it difficult to forget? See, it's not just me. And isn't it ironic? It's sad, really. I don't remember anybody saying, great game, great game. I wouldn't even probably remember it a whole lot, except I still have that game ball that I've held on to this day. And so, but I don't remember any positive comments. But maybe there's a lot of negative voices that you have heard at some point in your past. Recent past or like me a long time ago, maybe you're still living with the words that somebody said to you at some point in your life. Maybe it was repeated when somebody said, you know what, you're stupid. You're never going to amount to anything. Or somebody said, I wish that I'd never had you. Or I don't love you anymore. Or I hate you. Or you're always going to be a loser. Or get out of my life. And I'm just saying to you, listen to me. Listen really carefully today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask God to help us to shut the door on all those negative voices. Because when you leave here today, I don't want you to leave with what others think about you or even what you think about you. When you leave this place today, I want you to know for certain what God thinks about you. And what God thinks about you is truth. And what God thinks about you is what really matters most of all. But we've got to deal with negative things. I mean, it's just happened. And I'll, I want to just take a moment. And again, you know, it's sort of the tough side of the talk. And then we're going to get to the really good stuff. And, and the only reason I address this is because I know that some of you have dealt with this. I know we all carry baggage. And maybe some of the things you've heard is different from what somebody else has heard in terms of negative words. But a lot of you that are right in this place right here, and some of you that are watching, in fact, a lot of you watching online, You've heard negative words, and guess what? You've been carrying that emotional baggage with you for a long, long time. I'll give you three. Here's one. Uh, maybe maybe some, of the, some of the words that you've heard at some point in the past is this. You're not one of us. You're not one of us. You don't fit in. And boy, this one is especially painful because within us all is this innate desire that we want to belong. We want to be connected we want to be connected to friends. We want to be connected to, to, uh, to a group, a group at work, a group at, at, uh, at church. Uh, we want to be connected to a team. There's this sense of we want to belong. 
And you know, I know I've had this experience and, and I'm sure that you have a similar experience. When you were standing on the outside of an in-group that you really wanted to be a part of and you were not, and, and if that's ever happened to you, then you know how agonizing that that can feel. I can remember, you know, this has been, uh, just so that you know that I, I've walked through similar experiences than you. I can remember, uh, I shared with you that baseball story when I was 13, but when I was late 14, early 15, I, I wasn't driving yet, so I was pretty dependent on, uh, you know, other people to get me from point A to point A, because when you're 14 or 15, you're not always wanting your mom and dad to carry you around. And by now, my parents had already been divorced. They had been divorced for several months at this point. And, uh, you know, there was a group, and I knew that they probably really weren't good for me. I had some of my friends on the sports teams that I were a part of, but there was this group of guys that it just seemed that they were having a lot more fun than what my boring life was looking like. And I'm like, you know what? It'd just be so fun uh, to be a part of that group. And I, I can remember this as well so clearly. It was on a Friday night, and I'm leaving. Now, there, you talk about a hip, cool place to be, and this is going to date me. I'm sorry. Once I say this, you're going to know I'm a very old man. It's a wonder I can make it to church today. But back in those days, if you were really cool, you went to the skating rink every Friday night. Come on. Somebody give me some love on the skating rink right here. You went to the skating rink every Friday night. Man, I can remember I had these great, had my own skates. I didn't even, I mean, black skates, red devils. Bad name for skate wheels, but I had some red devils, and I thought I was so cool. I was cool, but I couldn't drive anywhere. I had to depend on everybody to get me. And so this group of guys was leaving, and, and I knew, I knew that I shouldn't, I shouldn't go with these guys because I knew that there were some drugs in the car. And I knew that, but I'm, I just, I was, it was a group that I just wanted to be uh, so, uh, so in. Now, I want to, everybody do this, do this, follow along with me. This is participating. What does this mean? Come on, come on. What does this mean? Time out, time out, time out. So here's a time out. I'm going to tell you a story about my grandkids because how can we have our first service back and me not talk about my grandkids? So, uh, during this time, I made a quick trip to Illinois, went and hung out with Kinley. Kinley just turned seven. Landry, she's four, almost five. Brody's two. He's going on uh, terror, uh, holy terror. And, uh, and then they've got a new baby. He's got to be here in just a few weeks. I, I said to my son, my daughter-in-law, I thought you were supposed to be practicing social distancing this, during this time. How's there another baby? But there's another baby, another girl on the way. And so one day we take all the kids to the park. We're at the park. And Brody, I'm following Brody around because he's just two and he's getting ready to play on something. And there's some bigger boys on that. And he's wanting to play and he can't because they're there. And he looks at me and he says this. He said, Papa, they need to go find their mama. Like they need to get out of my way. And so they eventually did. He played on what he wanted to play on. And then afterwards, after they play a while, there's like a, this smallest Dairy Queen you've ever seen in your life. And uh, we walk the kids next door to the Dairy Queen, let them get an ice cream. We come back over, sit down in the park. And then after they eat their ice cream, we're getting back in the car to leave. And by this time, a police officer has, you know, uh, pulled up. I want my grandkids to love and respect uh, police officers, obviously. And so there's a police officer. And I say to Brody, because you know how like small kids are in, intrigued with fire trucks and police cars and all that kind of stuff. So I said to Brody, I said, Brody, look over there in front of the Dairy Queen. There's a police car. What's he going to do? And, you know, you're expecting him to say, He's going to get an ice cream. But this is exactly, I said, Brody, see that police? What's he going to do? He looked at me, and I'm quoting verbatim. 
him, and he said just like this, Papa, he's going to take me to jail. And I'm like, where in the world did that come from? He's going to take me to jail. All right, now let's go back to this story. Friday night, I'm at the skating rink, right? How many of you remember? I'm at the skating rink. So I get in this car. I'm so paranoid because I know, I know I shouldn't be getting in this car. There's drugs in this car. Listen, I wasn't a perfect boy, but I was my mom's fair-haired boy. And I, even though I had no intention of participating, I'm already just extremely paranoid because I'm getting in this car. And in my mind, I'm playing it out. We're going to get on the road. We're going to get pulled over. And so I'm thinking this, and I'm just, I'm just almost shaking on the inside, and I'm in the back seat in the middle and I don't like that. I'm claustrophobic now already and paranoid. And I look up and there's, there's a police car in the parking lot of the skating rink. And I look at the police officer. And again, you got to know, my nerves are just razor thin. And he reaches up his arm and he taps on the top of his car. Now, I'm about to date myself again. Any of you remember Starsky and Hutch? Wave at me. Talk to me. You remember how if they wanted to chase the bad guys, they'd just reach out and just pop that little light on top and, oh, the fight is on. So he reaches up and he and I'm like, oh, there it is. I knew it. I haven't even been in the car three minutes and I have no idea what he's doing. He's like, and I thought, going back to Brody's story, the first thing that thought that came into my mind, I, I felt just like Brody said, He's going to take me to jail. Uh, that's exactly what I think. He's, he knows, he knows. As it turned out, one of the guys had left a cup of Coke on, uh, you know, Coca-Cola Coca on top of the, on the vehicle. And I'm like, dear Jesus. I mean, it's just not worth it. It's just, but you know, that, and the point that I'm trying to make, I, I had no business getting into that car. I shouldn't have been in that car, but I just so badly wanted to fit in that it caused me to make a really stupid decision in my life. I want you to look at this verse. This played out in the life of King Saul hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I've violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. And I want to just ask you that question. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gave in because you wanted to fit in with a group and you just said, I knew I shouldn't have done it. I, I, I knew I should have known that I was going to get in trouble. I should have known that uh, that was uh, not something that I, but I so badly wanted to fit in. And so a lot of times, a negative voice, listen now, listen, a negative voice we're probably going to have to shut down is this negative voice. You're not one of us and you don't fit in. Secondly, I want you to get this now. Here's the second one. You don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. Haven't we all dealt with that kind of negative voice before? You know what? I'm never going to hit. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> Haven't we battled with those negative voices before? I'll never hit the mark. I'm never going to hit the mark with my grades. I'm never going to hit the mark in sports. I'm not going to hit the mark in business or career. I'm never going to hit the mark as, as a parent. I'm not going to hit the mark financially. And... Uh, you know what my problem is? My problem, I can't, again, speak for you, but I can speak for me. My problem is I can always easily find people that are much better at something that I want to be great at. 
Let me say that again. I can always find people who are much better at something that I want to be great at. You know, as a pastor, there's nothing, there's a lot of things that you do as a pastor. Some of you, it blow your mind to know what happens in the life of a pastor on a week-to-week basis. But for me, the thing that, although it's hard work for me, it doesn't come easy for me, is just weekly, uh, you know, just saying, God, I'm starting with a blank page, and I, I need you to help me, and, and praying, and researching, and studying the scriptures, and looking at a myriad of verses, and praying some more, and writing, and just week to week putting together a message, and then coming and saying, God, I need you to help me, because I can't do this on my own. I'm going to give you my very best, and, and you know what? I always, always, even during this 32 weeks, knowing nobody was in the room, just saying, God, give me a message, and God, help me to do my very best. But you know what I sometimes do? It's just the way we do sometimes. I can always find somebody that is much better at what I want to be great at. And so I can listen to somebody else, share a message. I can follow somebody else, watch a preacher, watch a pastor. And I'm just thinking, man, you know, I've given it my best, but they're just so much better at that than I am. Or, you know, like at the gym, you know, I want to take care of myself. I want to honor God with my body. I want to be, you know, healthy, physically fit. But I can always find somebody at the gym, you know, and I know you find this hard to believe when you look at a guy that's 6'4", 6'5", like I am, but maybe not. And, and and I can always find somebody that's stronger than me, can lift more, somebody that can manage money better than me, somebody whose yard looks better than mine. I get my yard looking pristine, and then I look at somebody else's yard, and I'm like, I've got 2,438 weeds here. They don't have one. You know, why is that? Hey, I go out and play a great round of golf, and it's still not good enough because I still got beat by four strokes. But you know what the trap becomes for you or for me? Because you and I are always, always, we can always find somebody that's greater at something we want to be good at. A lot of times, here's the trap, we fail to appreciate, we fail to feel gratitude for the unique gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to us. And so we're always trying to measure up. We're always like, this is not good enough. Enough. No matter how hard I try, it's not good enough. It's in the negative voices that says you don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. Now, there's this in Luke chapter 10, eye-opening, lesson learning, real-life event that takes place among two sisters. And I'm going to draw your attention to it really quickly. Look at this up on the screen. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, Jesus came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. How many of you know it's a big deal if Jesus shows up at your house? So she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, read this last part. Everybody, every, everybody's everybody. Read the last part with me. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Now, I can always remember, I can always sort out these two sisters because all I've got to do is reverse their personalities with my mom and my grandmother, who we call Mamo, and both of them passed away uh, about three, three or four years ago. Mom passed away a little bit before Mamo did, actually. So mom, mom, her name was actually Mary, but she was more like Martha. And my Mamo was Martha, but she's a lot more like Mary in Luke chapter 10. And so in this story, Jesus comes to the house, and it says that Martha... Uh, She's just so busy doing a lot of stuff. Mary Luton says she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, that, that would be, although it was Mary in Luke chapter 10, that would have been Martha in terms of my memoir. Because she had just been like, hey, 
I, I, I just, I just want to hang out with Jesus. I'm just going to sit at his feet and listen to him. But the personality of my mom, Mary, is more like Martha in the story, who is just busy. It's just like, is it good enough? If everything, is everything going to be just right for Jesus? And I was thinking about this while I was working on the talk. If this had played out and it had been, uh, you know, my mom and my mom, Mamma would have just been hanging out with Jesus. Jesus, that's just so good. Wow, Jesus, that's just, that's just powerful. My mom would have been running, running around like, Jesus, Jesus, uh, is everything okay in here? Hey, did you like the carrot cake? I've had that recipe a long time. Hey, Jesus, you like this new outfit? I just got it the other day. Does this love? Hey, uh, is the house clean enough? Do you like that new chair I just got? I've had it looked all over the place for it. But you know what? Just always, it's not quite good enough. I, and that's, in this story, that's Martha. And Mary's just hanging out with Jesus. Martha's like, I gotta do more. I don't, it doesn't measure up. It's not good enough. Here's another set of negative voices we gotta slam the door on. Are you ready for this one? You're not worthy. You don't deserve my love. You don't deserve my acceptance. And you know what, friends? If you've ever struggled with negative voices like that, is you're not worthy, then the fact of the matter is you have probably spent an excessive amount of time and energy trying to validate your value and worthiness. And we may even develop an attitude and demeanor that is much like this. It may go something like this. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel that I'm valuable uh, enough, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show them I'm smart. I'm going to show them I'm a hard worker. I'm going to prove to them I'm an attractive person. I'm going to let them know that I'm better than that. Can I just tell you something that I've seen because as a pastor, you relate with a lot of people over a long period of time. You know, I see people all the time and have for years and years, people all the time that are still trying to please their parents, even though they're grown up adults. I see people that are living their lives as though they're trying to please their parents and their parents even passed away a long time ago. But it is so ingrained. It is so embedded. I want to be accepted. What I've done, it's not good enough. I've got to work hard. I've got to do more. I've got to do more. There's a passage in John chapter 4 that is actually quite sad to me. And it's something that I think about each time that I, I read it. And, and I admit to you, the scripture doesn't go into the back, uh, back story of this lady. And so I don't know the back story. Maybe the circumstances of her life are totally in contrast to what I think maybe had been playing out. But Jesus is having a conversation with a lady one day, and I just want you to see it. And it's sad to me, really, and I think about it often. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say, because Jesus said, hey, go get your husband. She said, I, I don't have a husband. She said, Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, uh, the man you now have, is not your husband. And again, I admit to you, I admit to you, I don't know the backstory, but at least when I've read this, I'm just like, you know what? Could it be that this lady that Jesus is talking to, and Jesus is going to reach out to her with love and compassion, but could it be that she has been on this never-ending quest, just relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship, just because she wants to be loved? and never can find it, never feels like she's earned it, never feel like she's valuable enough to earn love and acceptance. Well, you know what you and I are going to do? We're going to shut the door on the negative voices. That's what I'm believing God's going to help you to do. Listen, 
I'm not the only one that struggles with negative voices in my past. You do too. Many of you do. Young and old alike. Men and women. You struggle with negative voices. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to shut the voice, the door on those negative voices. And I want to give you three things. Listen, I come back to something that I said earlier. It is not what other people uh, believe about you that matters. It's not even what you believe about you that matters most. What matters most is what Jesus believes about you. And I want to give you three things that you can know with absolute certainty if you're a child of God. Are you ready for them? I'm going to give them to you right here. Number one, number one, if you are a child of God, let me just put it this way, because you're a child of God, you are forgiven. I'm going to repeat that again. Because you are a child of God, you are forgiven. I want you to look at this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Look at it right up here on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Say it with me. A new creation. The old is gone. Guess what? The new has come. I want you to think about this. What, what Paul is saying here is just so important that you understand it fundamentally as a follower of Jesus, that if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, if you have received Jesus as the Savior and the leader of your life, the Bible says that you are in Christ. Here's the beautiful thing. You're in Jesus and he is in you. See, when you become a Christian, I want you to think about this, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus. The Bible says this, that he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. If you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you, here's some good news. You are forgiven. In fact, you are more than just forgiven. You're a new creation. That's what the Bible says. You're a new person. When I look back on some of the past decisions I've made, decisions that I'm too embarrassed to even talk about here today, I'm just saying to you, I look back some of the things I did as a teenager, some of the stupid things that I've done in my lifetime, I'm just thinking, I am so glad that I am not that person anymore. That person is gone. The old is gone. I'm a new person in Jesus. And you say, well, what if I were to go to Jesus and say, well, Jesus, what about all my past sins? Jesus, let's talk about it. Uh, all my past sins. Do you know what Jesus would look at you and say? Jesus would say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, Jesus, way back then, all my past sins. Don't you remember when I did this and when I did this? God, I feel so bad about this and under pressure and I so badly wanted to fit in and I did this and I did this. And Jesus would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. How many of you are glad that when Jesus forgives us of our sins, he chooses to forget our sins as well? And we're like, Jesus, don't you remember? He's like, nope, don't remember. See, my worry today, can I be honest with you? My concern today is not, has Jesus forgiven you? If you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you, you're a new creation, old is gone, new has come. My concern is not whether or not Jesus has forgiven you. My concern is, have you forgiven you? Have you forgiven you? Have you just said, you know what? Man, and just embrace the fact that you're a new person in Jesus. You've got to, I'm not worried about Jesus. I'm worried about you. Jesus has forgiven you, but you've got to forgive yourself. Look at this verse on the screen. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in him we have redemption through his blood. 
the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Listen, you and I are forgiven. I want to give you some good news. If you're wondering whether or not you're forgiven because of your goodness, I want to just say it's not that at all. If I'm forgiven because of my own personal goodness, I'm in big, big trouble. But you and I are not forgiven. Listen, if your mind is drifting for just a moment here or online, if your mind is drifting for just a moment, you need to hear this. You are not forgiven because of your goodness, but you are forgiven because of God's grace. God's grace. Rick Warren has written this, God's forgiveness is far more powerful than all your mistakes and your sins put together so you get a clean slate. Secondly, you're not only forgiven, you've got to be sure you get this down. Because you're God's child, you can be confident. You can be confident. This week, you know, it's been a crazy week trying to get ready for the reopening of our camp. It's been busy. Everybody's been busy, busy, busy. And in the midst of it all, I had an opportunity to spend time with two different families on two different nights this week. Wonderful families, wonderful people. I went to one home on uh, Friday night. I got a text, long story short, I'll just tell you this quickly, got a text, could you come and visit dad? Dad's not doing well, he's in hospice care. I kid you not, that was Friday night and I got there 10 minutes or so after I got there, he passed away and I was so glad that God gave me an opportunity to be there with that family and pray with that family. But I mean, I'm there, I'm there 10 minutes and the guy passes away. Good family, great family, wonderful family. But you know what's ironic about that? that it's not like that has never happened to me before as a pastor. What happened is the night before, I was with a lady that she started coming to our church right here at South Campus a couple of years ago. Wonderful lady, great family. You know, her name is Dottie, and Dottie found out at the end of last month that she's got cancer, and it's throughout her body, and Dottie wanted to talk, and so a friend got in contact with me and said, Dottie wants to talk to you, and will you come by and see Dottie? And I'm like, absolutely. And I wanted to talk with Dottie because, listen, I've been in this place with people many, many times before, and I just know that when somebody gets toward the end of their life, they just want that confidence that everything's going to be okay. So I went over, and I had a conversation with, with Dottie and I pulled up a chair next to that hospice bed that she was in and I said Dottie because again just out of experience I just asked her this question I said Dottie I asked her two things is there anything you want to talk about she nodded we talked Dottie is there anything you're concerned about she nodded and I knew that there would be because even though when you know you're in Jesus for a person when they're like at the very end, it's not that you don't know whether or not you're going to heaven. You should know if you're in Jesus that you're going to heaven. It's just the fear of the unknown. It's like a, a small kid that's going to a brand new school and they've never been to that school before. It's like, oh, the fear of the unknown. What's going to happen once I get to school? And while I was talking to Dottie and Dottie watches every week, and Dottie might be watching right now. I just said, Dottie, here's the good news that we have, that we're in, we're, when we're in Jesus, we have confidence that when we take our last breath in this world, our very next breath is in heaven with Jesus. And you know what? We had a great visit. Dottie, her family, her husband, wonderful people, wonderful friends. She just had all this support around her. And then she let me know she wanted to be baptized. Well, how many of you know? It's not easy to do baptism by full immersion in a case like that. And I'm a full immersion pastor in terms of baptism. I said, well, here's what we can do. We can sprinkle you. And her daughter got me a cup of water and I just sprinkled Dottie. I said, I'm not a professional sprinkler, but I'll do so for you if you want to be baptized. And how many of you know that counts in Jesus's book because Dottie wanted to be baptized. 
And you know what, friend? You can be confident. You are not only forgiven, you are confident. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You know, Jeff, when I get to the end of my life, is my good stuff going to outweigh my bad stuff? Shut out all the negative voices of your past. If you have received Jesus, you're in Jesus. Jesus is in you. You are forgiven, but you can be confident that there is reserved spot for you in heaven because Jesus went to the cross and died in your place so that you can spend eternal life with him forever and forever. It doesn't get any better than that. You can know, well, I don't know exactly how it's going to be when I get to heaven. That's all right. How many of you know it's going to be better than this mess we're living in every day here on earth? You are forgiven. You are confident. I want to give you one more. You are free. You can look at it later. I don't have time to go to it. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Listen, in Jesus' name, I want you to be free of the negative voices of your past. But Jeff, they like you, they've just been hanging around for a long time. I, I want you to be free of the negative voices of your past. I need to take out that baseball more often, don't I, that says I pitched one hit. Hey, listen, back then, back then it wasn't like cool names. Uh, it wasn't like cool names like the Dodgers or the Rays or the Braves or the Cardinals. It wasn't that. The name of your team was actually the company that ever, whoever sponsored you. So... You know, to the glory of God in Kentucky Fried Chicken, I pitched a one-hit shutout. <laughs> I want you to be free from the negative voices of your past. I want you to be free from the baggage that's been a part of your life. I want you to be free of habits and addictions. I want you to be free of hurt and the baggage. And you can, because when Jesus sets you free, you are going to be free indeed. Would you stand with me? Our time is gone. We're going to sing out in one last worship song to God with all of our heart, all of our voice. But before we do that, maybe you're here today and you're not in right standing with Jesus. Maybe you're not in right relationship with God. Maybe you don't have that confidence. Listen, I'm like you. I want to live a long, long time. I want to I live to be at least 110 and then catch my stride for the second part of my life. I want to live a long time. But listen, we don't know whether or not we will. But the fact of the matter is, here's what we can know. We can know that we're in right standing with Jesus and that there's an eternal home in heaven waiting for us. And I want that to be true for you. I want you to know your sins are forgiven. I want you to know that Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus. And there's a reserved seat with your name on it in heaven. I want you to know that and you can know it. If you're not a Christian yet, just pray this prayer. You say, but Jeff, I've got a million questions. That's all right. That's okay. I've got questions too. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I've got questions in my mind that I've, I fully plan on asking Jesus when I get to heaven. So don't wait until you have all your questions answered or you'll never give your life to Jesus. But just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Just do it right where you're at. You don't even have to do it out loud. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to know that my past is forgotten. I want to know that you're with me. I don't want to walk the rest of my life through this old broken, messed up, sinful world. I want you to be with me. I want to know that when I lay my head on the pillow and I breathe my last, that when I wake up, I'm in your presence. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. 
And then for all of the rest of us, God, help us to recognize that because we're your child, we are forgiven, we are confident, we are free. We choose with your help to shut out all the negative voices of our past and to embrace your truth about us. It's not what people think about us. It's not even what we think about us that matters. It's what you think about us. And we love you and we worship you and we praise you. Let's do that right now. Can we give Jesus some praise? Let's sing out to him. Sunday, guys.